pray that that would not just be a song we sing, but that would be the condition of our heart. That we know you in such a vital and real way that we can say there's no one like you. It wouldn't just be the man upstairs. It wouldn't just be a God who's far away that I call on when I'm in trouble. But Lord, you are someone who is more real to me than those that are around me. And that's the prayer of every one of us here. That we wouldn't just know about you, but we would know you. That the veil of religion would be taken from our eyes. That wherever we're deceived, that light would come in. Wherever we're settling for second best in our spiritual life, that you'd bring us to a different place. I want you to just reach out to God a minute and say, Lord, I really want that. I, I want to know how to love you with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my soul, and with all my strength. Jesus said that was the greatest commandment in all the Bible. So in a fresh way on Saturday night, we just say, welcome, Lord. We want more than an hour or give you more than an hour or two a week. We want to walk with you on Monday morning. We want you to be real in the course of our business day. When we lay our head on our pillow, we want the last thing that comes out of our mouth is to say, Good night, Lord. Watch over me as I sleep. We would even welcome you in our dreams. Welcome in our children's lives. Might their religion not just be a, a habit or something they're taught or forced to do, but that our kids would love you in spirit and truth. And this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Hey, give your neighbor a high five. Tell them it's good to see you tonight, and you may be seated. Well, turn your Bibles this evening to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 6. How many believe the Bible is the Word of God? Hey, I'm right with you. Luke chapter 6, verse 47. We had a funny little story about a preacher yesterday at a revival meeting. This guy named Sam showed up at a revival meeting seeking some help, and he went up to the preacher and he said, Hey, I need you to pray for my hearing. Well, the preacher, anxious to hear that, he puts his fingers on Sam's ears and prays and prays. And when he's done, he said, Sam, how's your hearing now? And he said, I don't know. I don't go to court till next Tuesday. <laughs> Take your minute there. Hearing, court. Well, we have good intentions, don't we? But sometimes we miss things. Hopefully I'm going to do something that's going to be able to help you tonight in the coming, uh, coming weeks ahead. I'm going to start a series called Unshakable. Don't you think about that word, unshakable? By definition, it simply implies it's something that is grounded, something that is rooted in something that cannot be moved. And can I tell you, we live in a world that is filled with uncertainty. It is all around us. But how many know it is possible for us to have unshakable faith no matter what we face in our lives? Jesus said these words in Luke chapter 6, verse 47. They are paralleled in Matthew's gospel when Matthew talked about, uh, when Jesus talked about the Sermon on the Mount and he closed it in the same way. Jesus Christ said, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them. Can you say does them? See, not just hearing but doing. Jesus said, I'll show you what he's like. This man who walks with me, who knows my word and my will and actually does it, he's like a man building a house. He dug deep and he laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against the house and it could not shake it. 
You see that picture in your Bible? That stream pushed against it. The waves rocked against it. The wind blew against it. But the Bible says it could not be shaken. Why? Because it had been well built or it had been built upon a rock. But the one who hears and does not do my words is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. And when the stream broke against it, it immediately fell and the ruin of that house was great. Well, obviously in the Bible, when we're talking about the house, I mean, we're talking about our lives. And this passage of Scripture talks about the foundation of our life. What is holding me up? What is holding me together? And I contend that most people, if we have our health, if we've got some money in our pocket and our job is secure, if people like us and our world is somewhat stable, we're not aware of our need for God. And that's exactly what this passage is talking about. A person who is not building their life on the unshakable foundation, which is Christ in his ways. And everything is going great until disruption comes in the world. And how many know when uncertainty comes in the world and the world is shaken, if you're not grounded in Christ, how many know you're going to be shaken? That's a good time to say amen. We can talk on Saturday night. Uh, you know, our world is filled with uncertainty. See, it's filled with uncertainty because the thing I know, the secret to surviving trouble is unshakable faith in God and His Word. You see, our world is indeed filled with uncertainty. If I just, we just talked about economics just a minute, the headlines are just almost where you don't want to read them anymore. Do you realize one in seven people published this week, one in seven people in America are below the poverty line? It's higher than it's been in decades. Yet our nation has been spending billions, hundreds of billions of dollars to try to solve the problem of poverty. And there's more people in poverty today than there have been in decades in America. There are, the, the, the number of foreclosures across America is astronomical at the number of houses. Thank God our region has been somewhat spared, but it's a mess. Published unemployment is almost 10%, but they say those that aren't looking for work any longer and have used up their unemployment is about 16 or 17% of Americans are unemployed. And our government tells us that don't look for any big changes in the years that are ahead. I mean, no, there is uncertainty in our world. It's not only economic uncertainty, but it's uncertainty in politics. You're smart enough to know that this coming election is going to determine the course of America in a very real way. Are the American people desiring a path towards socialism and trust in man? Or are we desiring a return to the foundations which made us great in this nation? Uh, the threat of terrorism is as real today as it's ever been. They catch terrorists all the time. They just spoiled the plot. They tried to, terrorists were trying to kill the Pope in his journey. But it's all around us. Islam is growing. I read an article yesterday about the threat of Islam in, in, uh, in Europe. And decades now it's projected that the Islamic people and their Sharia law and what that means and entails for the nation will overcome the democracies of Europe. Now our nation is talking about the mosque at Ground Zero and all the implications there and all the terrorism that's funded. Our world is uncertain. But can I tell you this? If your life is grounded on Christ the Rock, there is a stability in your life. There is a security in your life. There is a sense of unshakableness in your life. Though everything may be stripped from you, you can still lay your head on your pillow at night and believe that God will take care of you tomorrow. Come on, someone say praise the Lord. See, there's a confidence you have in God and His Word because Jesus Christ said, I'll never, yeah, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll never turn my back on you. But Jesus said, I will always, well, I'll be with you sometimes. No, I'll always be with you even until the end of the age. And I want to encourage you, you and I as Christians have the opportunity to have unshakable faith in the Word of God and the character of God. And how many know God will not fail us? 
Now listen, some people in our world today, when trouble comes, they crumble because they don't have that kind of foundation. Many people as far as that goes. But you and I, if your faith and trust is in Christ and it's going steadily deeper and deeper and deeper, I want to tell you, my friend, you can face whatever tomorrow might bring. Well, I'm starting this series called Unshakable. And the coming weeks, Lord willing, we're going to be looking at a different Bible character each week to show us some aspect of unshakable faith that they had. Now, this evening, we're going to be talking about probably my favorite Bible character outside of Jesus, and it's a man named Joseph. And we're going to look at a particular thing about Joseph's life because Joseph had a dream that he would one day literally have a destiny to impact the entire world. But you know what? He had to wait 22 years for that to happen. And I mean, a waiting is no fun. But I want to talk to you about waiting this evening, waiting that period of time between God, uh, of which God has given you a promise or a word, and that time of its fulfillment. We're going to begin this evening in Genesis chapter 37, but as you're making your way there, I want to show you something on the screen, some thoughts about waiting and the, and the confidence that you can have in Christ. Make your way to Genesis 37, and then we'll be back in the Bible. I know it's hard sometimes to be patient. I hear your voice crying out in the morning hours and late at night. I make note of each request. But remember that I am not constrained by your time schedules or limited to your solutions. But be assured of this, I will deliver in my time and my way. So learn to wait in anticipation. And when you wonder whether I will take care of you, think of this. Since I sacrificed my own son for your salvation, will I not also, along with him, graciously give you all things? You can count on it. You see, there is no other God beside me who acts on behalf of those who wait for me, not one. For I am a father who longs to be gracious to you. I freely show you my compassion. I am a good God, a God of justice, and I will bless you when you confidently wait for me. So be still and know that I am God. Be still before me and wait patiently for me to act. Wait for me. Put your hope in my word. Let's walk this out together in Genesis chapter 37. Joseph's long wait was made possible by what I'm calling unshakable faith. Let me say it again. Joseph's long wait was made possible because he had unshakable faith. Genesis 37, verse 5. Now, at this particular time in his life, he's a 17-year-old boy. In the next couple of minutes, let me just paint a picture of Joseph's life from the time he was a teenager till the time he walked in God's plan for his life. He's a 17-year-old boy, and in the middle of the night, Joseph has a dream. Now, how many know some dreams are spiritual dreams? Some dreams are just pizza dreams, but some dreams God is literally speaking to you. Didn't the Bible tell us in the book of Acts that in the last days, what, your young men will see visions and your old men will... Yeah, you're all, so I should be having more of those night visits from God. But in the latter parts of your life, listen, God will speak to you at night, and he did to Joseph. And he told his brothers about it, and this is interesting because they hated him more than ever. You see, Joseph was a favorite son of his father. He was born in his old age. And he told the brothers, listen to this dream, he said. We're out in the field tying up bundles of grain. And suddenly my bundle, that is this, this chocks of wheat, it stood up. And your bundle gathered all around, but they bowed low before mine. Now, how many know that's not the thing a jealous brother wants to hear of the little brother? But nonetheless, that's what he explained in verse 8. His brothers responded, 
So you think you'll be our king. Now, that's the key to this whole story. The, the, to the brothers, the absurdity that one day they would bow down to Joseph. Do you really think you will reign over us? And that dream set in motion a chain of events that would literally take 22 years to fulfill. Joseph didn't understand the next some, well, he was 17 then. He didn't understand the next 13, 15 years of his life that he was away, not only from his family, but he was in a place called Egypt. Now, if we jumped ahead to Genesis chapter 42, just five quick chapters ahead, verse 6 says this. Now, it's been... It's been uh, many years later, actually 22 years later, there's a famine that's been around the world. In a dream, listen, of, of Pharaoh, there has been seven years of famine. It was good, or actually good years, that, that they uh, reaped crops in great abundance. Then there was going to be seven years of famine, and now they're in year two of the famine. And guess what happens in verse 6? Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold grain to the people of the land. So he moved from a little boy, and we see him now as a governor, but it's this in-between time of which we'll focus. He sold grain to all the people, and Joseph's brothers, the same brothers who laughed at him and mocked him and scorned him, these brothers came, and guess what they did? They bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. They had no idea it was Joseph. They had totally forgotten the dream. But the Bible says in verse 9, Joseph remembered the dreams. Now, that's kind of the big picture of his life, but this passage will tell us today regarding unshakable faith, usually you have to wait a long time between the moment that God gives you a promise and the moment it's fulfilled. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Rarely does God speak one thing on Monday and it happens on Tuesday. Usually, and particularly when you're younger at a beginning season of your life, God will show you something. He will speak to you in your heart. You will know something deep inside that God wants to do. It could be from a prophecy. It could simply be from your communion with God. And you know there's something out there. You may be a single person looking for Mr. Right, and it seems like you've been looking and looking and looking. And the longer you look in the mirror, the older you get. And you're wondering, where is God? Well, this word that we're looking at tonight called waiting. And I'll tell you this, friends, something I know for certain, nobody likes to wait. How about you? Ask your neighbor, do you like to wait? No, not a person in this room likes to wait for something to happen. We want it right now. Nobody likes to wait. There's another story about a preacher. It's, he was noted for his poise and quiet manner. But at times he suffered moments of frustration and irritability. One day a friend asked this old preacher, he saw him uh, pacing the floor like a caged lion. He said, what's the trouble, preacher? The trouble is I'm in a hurry, but God isn't. Now, what you think about that? I'm in a hurry. I want to see it done, but God's not. And it's a long time before this 17-year-old boy sees what God is going to do. Now, you know Joseph's story. If, if not, I'll, I'll tell it to you. I'll remind you. After he shares with his brothers his dreams, something amazing happens in Joseph's life. These brothers literally get upset about it. They throw him in a pit, and they're going to kill him. And lo and behold, one of the brothers said, we're not going to do that. He is our brother. They said, okay, well, we'll sell him. And an amazing thing happened. We might call it coincidence in our world today, but we see it as the hand of God that's orchestrated things. There's some slave traders that show up. They're going towards Egypt, and they pull Joseph out of the pit. They make him a little money off, brother, and poor little Joseph is taken away. You know, he's crying, he's weeping, he's begging for his life, and it's something that God allowed, but God also used. 
Off he goes to Egypt, and he's there, and he's sold to a man named Potiphar. Potiphar was like the right hand of the great Pharaoh. He was a high official in his court. And Joseph, who started out in slavery in just a matter of time because of his attitude of excellence and his commitment to do the right thing, he was promoted, and before you know it, he's actually running Potiphar's house. Well, unfortunately, one day Potiphar's wife gets eyes for Joseph, and she says, won't you come to bed with me? And Joseph, to his credit, says no. And he actually runs away from the woman and she grabs his jacket and she gets mad because she's been rejected and she tells her husband, he tried to rape me. And her husband has no choice, but he throws poor Joseph, guess where? Yeah, he's in jail now. So here's a guy in jail, hadn't done a thing wrong, but he's in jail. Mind you now, he has a dream. Years of his life are ticking by. He's having to wait and wait and wait. He's in prison, but yet God is still with him. And this is something I want you to see in his life tonight. As he's waiting for the promise, God has not forsaken him. Lo and behold, he's in that jail many years. He interprets the dream of a butler and a baker that worked for Pharaoh himself. His interpretation was correct. And guess what happens? Pharaoh has a dream one night. And this dream so troubles him and says, I don't know what to do. This thing is plaguing me. And the, uh, the, the cupbearer said, hey, what? You know what? I remember there's a guy in prison that interpreted my dream. I bet he can do it for you. And one day, Joseph wakes up in jail, having no idea what was going to happen. But he gets a bath, he gets a shave. That very morning, he's standing before Pharaoh. He, talk, he explains the dream, that this dream about seven years, that there's going to be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. And after he interprets the dream, he also gives Pharaoh wisdom about what to do. And Pharaoh says, hey, there's no one smarter than this in my kingdom. We're going to make you vice president of all Egypt. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Now listen, that's the way the hand of God works, but there's something bigger than that. He didn't do it just so Joseph could have a happy life. Joseph was going to be entrusted with the responsibility for literally caring for the descendants of Jesus Christ. Now how many know God could have prevented the famine? God could have done something totally different, but he didn't. He allowed one of his beloved servants, one of his sons, he allowed him to go through the difficult trial, and he was with him every step of the way. Listen, and Joseph kept his faith. It was an unshakable faith that caused him not to give up, not to quit, and not to turn his back on God. And because of that, my friends, when the time was right and the famine was about to happen, God had a man in place, and God used this man named Joseph. But you know why You know why his faith stayed strong? It's because he didn't get angry at God in this season of waiting. Now, let me go back, and we're going to look at some more scriptures because I really want you to examine your life today. And we're going to talk about some perhaps seasons of disappointment in your life. You may be in one today. You may be in a time of your life where you don't know where God is or what God's doing. Chapter 40, verse 12, and I want to make this statement. It is hard to wait for God to change things. Let me say it again. It's hard to wait for God to change things. Someone say amen. Yeah, it's hard. Joseph now, in this verse, he's in prison, and he interprets the dream of Pharaoh's cupbearer. Verse 12, this is what the dream means, Joseph said. In three days, Pharaoh will lift you up and restore you to the position of his chief cupbearer. And Joseph, almost begging now, he said, please remember me and mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this place. I said, nobody likes to wait. And look at verse 15. You can almost feel this pain. Joseph said, I was kidnapped from my homeland, the land of the Hebrews, and now I'm here in prison, and I did nothing to deserve it. Now, have you ever been in a place like that where you feel like you're in prison and you didn't do anything to deserve it? How many has been there in your life? 
Sure. You've been in a season of your life where you don't understand. Listen, you deserve better than what you're experiencing. Maybe this is just me. You deserve better than what you're experiencing. You didn't sign up for that. When you married Mr. Wonderful, when you had those lovely children that said, yes, ma'am, and yes, sir, when they were younger, you didn't sign up for that. When you went to the job and it didn't turn out what you hoped it would be. When you felt this call to ministry at a younger, at a younger age, but now something else has happened and you just don't know what in the world God is doing. When you're at a place where the finances are not where they need to be and it seems like your whole world is in flux and you are praying every day, I want to tell you this, friend, it is hard to wait. But it is unshakable faith that will allow you to see God on the other side. Because one thing I can assure you of, that if you give up and quit, if you turn your back on God, if you say, I can't handle this anymore, if that's the way God is, I don't want anything to do with Him, you will miss your destiny. You will miss the answer to the prayer. You will miss the opportunity that is before you if you turn your back, if you give up and quit. All of us, one of the greatest challenges that I face as a Christian, I have been a Christian over 30 years, 34 years. And one of the greatest challenges I face is when I get disappointed in God and when I have to wait on something and don't know why it's so long in coming. I'm preaching better than you're amening this evening. It's difficult. Go to chapter 41, verse 14. But let me tell you something about this unshakable faith. And when I talk about unshakable faith, it is a deeper kind of faith. If you're able to see this screen behind me here, you can see this great tall building, this great skyscraper. But it's surrounded by debris. You can tell these buildings have fallen down. The concrete is a mess. The, the, the steel is all immersed in the concrete. And they have fallen down because their life was not founded on a rock. Here's some things that I know that your faith can sustain you no matter what you face. And hear this this evening. Your faith, your faith can keep you strong and your faith can give you a good attitude when you're in a place you don't want to be. Look, look at Joseph, Genesis 41 verse 14. He's still in prison. Now remember he interpreted the dream and he said, get me out. It is two years later. He is still there. Pharaoh sent for Joseph, verse 14, and he was quickly brought from the prison. Verse 15 said, Pharaoh, uh, verse 15, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night and no one here can tell me what it means. But I've heard that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Now let's, before we read the next verse, I want you to think about the situation going on. You got a boy that's 17 years of age. God spoke to him in a profound way. And for 13 years, at least the circumstances of his life, it seems like God has totally forgotten him. If you just looked at him from a distance, you would say, how can this man know that there's a God and be assured that there's a God? Well, it's been 13 years and he's been, he's been a slave to somebody. He's been a prisoner to somebody. Now, here's one thing I know. If God is silent in my life for just a couple days or weeks, I'm ready to do something different. How about you? I cooked some popcorn in the microwave last night, kind of a little Friday night treat, just kind of hanging out by myself. And, and I cooked some popcorn, and I hit the popcorn button, and when it was finished, it wasn't done. And I was quite adamant that I'm having to push more buttons because in two minutes and 30 seconds, I don't have popcorn. But push another minute on that thing. And then it started to burn. But when you have to wait a long period of time, am I talking to the right people tonight? When I have to wait on something to happen, 
I read the verses of the Bible. I give like the Bible teaches me. I tithe like the Bible teaches me. But then I go through the worst financial season of my life. It just makes you wonder, is the Bible even true? Let's get real this evening. We stand in church and we proclaim to other people that we know God's Word is true. We teach our kids when they're little to pray about something. And when they pray and that prayer is not answered the way they prayed, they said, Mommy, why didn't God answer my prayer? What are you going to say? Let's delve into this. Your faith has to be deeper than that, friend. Your faith cannot be conditioned on God acting like a lever that when you pull it, it automatically works and moves. Look at verse 16. After this, he's standing before Pharaoh and Joseph said these words, It is beyond my power to do this, but God can. It is beyond my power, but God can tell you what this means and put you at ease. There is no hint of bitterness. There is no hint of anger against God. There is no hint of frustration. Somehow this man has found an ability to put his hand in the hand of God Almighty and walk through years of what were literally hell on earth, but still have a confidence in his heart and a smile on his face because God is real. Now I want to tell you, I want faith like that. How about you? I don't want to have to go through those kind of valleys. But if I find myself in a valley, I want to have an unshakable faith. Listen, I want to have an unshakable faith that whether I rode to church in a new car, an old car, whether somebody came to get me, I rode a bicycle or I had to walk, I want to have the joy of the Lord that is not attached to my outer circumstances. How about you? Because so often we attach and condition our relationship with God to what's going on outside of us. What I'm talking about is what's going on inside of you. It is unshakable faith. Pastor John Ortberg said this. He was a pastor at Willow Creek. He said, waiting is not just something we have to do until we get what we want. Let me say it again. Waiting is not just something we have to do until we get what we want. Now listen, waiting is part of the process of becoming what God wants us to be. Waiting is a part of the process of becoming what God wants you to be. If you wait in faith, but if you wait with cynicism, anger, bitterness, you, my friend, will go deeper in a ditch. We're told in the book of James, James chapter 1, verse 2, when trouble comes your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Now, what was James smoking? How could you consider trouble? That must be a mistranslation. I mean, really, you would think somebody's crazy if they're smiling in the midst of tragedy. But James says, listen, the tragedy may not be good, but when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow or your patience. But then he goes on to say, let patience have its full and complete work, and then you will be mature and complete, lacking nothing. And I suggest to you, Joseph was not ready as a 17-year-old to rule Egypt. Joseph was not ready at a 20-year-old or a 25-year-old. But Joseph, when he was 30 years of age, after he'd seen the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, after he'd seen his hopes dashed in a pit, dashed, sold into slavery, but rise again in Potiphar's house, all to be dashed again when he was in prison for no reason of his own, but then to be lifted up by Pharaoh and then still saying, listen, God is the one that's good to me. I want to tell you, my friends, sometimes the school of the Holy Spirit is more difficult than college. It is more different than the the bachelor's degree. It is more arduous than a master's degree. It is more difficult than your doctorate. But it is the school of the Holy Spirit that will use the difficulties of life that as you wait looking for Him to move, you will come out a stronger and a better person. Somebody give the Lord a good hand tonight. 
Waiting is hard. It can destroy your faith. And I want you to hear this today. Because if you are shallow, my friend, you will not make it in the future. What are you talking about? The parable of the sower says one of the people that received the word of God because they didn't have deep root. When trouble or persecution came because of the word of God, what did they do? They fell away. There's been no other time in America's history where the Christian religion has been more persecuted than today in America. There has been no other time in America where there are more things that are illegal, where Christians are losing their jobs for simply taking their Bible to work, for simply saying, I believe same-sex marriage is a sin and abomination. There's been no greater time when Christians have been persecuted for their faith. And I tell you this, my friend, if you live for Christ, you will face opposition from the world. And if you are not grounded deeply upon the rock which is Christ, when adversity comes, you will fall away. It's a, it's a frequent question, Psalm 22, verse 1, when the psalmist asked these words, My God, my God, how did you know that? My God, my God, why have you turned your back on me? I cry out today, I cry out, but you don't answer by night, and I'm not silent. It's natural to wonder why. Disappointment with God is something every one of us wrestles with. You feel like God let you down or God doesn't care. You ask yourself the question, why would a good God? And you fill in the blank. Listen, the devil is right there to whisper in your ear to tell you God does not care. The devil is right there to stir you and say, God doesn't care. The Bible is not real. If God cared, he would not allow this to happen to you. But can I tell you, my friend, our faith is not a feeling. Our faith is a choice. It is a choice to believe in the character of God and in the Word of God, not in what you feel. And the devil will try to take that why question and point it to your feelings. You must point him towards the unshakable rock, which is Christ. If we continued reading that passage in verse 3, verse 3 says, after he said, why God, why you've forsaken me, verse 3 says, yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. So right in the middle of the same prayer, when he asked God why, faith caused him to say, I trust in you. Right in the middle of it. Not when his circumstances change. And this is what I know about my life from experience, and I bet it's true in yours. We don't always give, we want to give thanks when the problem is over. We want to kind of complain our way through until it's over. But when we get to the other side, then we say, thank God for what he's done. I'm telling you, unshakable faith gives thanks to God before the problem is over. Unshakable faith sees God is enthroned in the middle of your difficulty. Listen, one of the godliest couples that I know have two children that battle with disease and have battled with it most of their life. And I want to tell you this, my friend, their faith is not moved. Their faith is not moved by the doctor. Disappointed? Yes. Frustrated? Yes. Confused? Yes. But still grounded on the rock, which is Christ Jesus. Somebody give the Lord a good hand today. It is that faith that is built upon the rock, which is Christ, which will sustain you. Now, I'm going to wrap this up this evening, and then we're going to have a time to pray. Now, how do you develop this unshakable faith while you're waiting? I wish it was a formula I could give you, but it's worth writing down. Let me tell you a couple observations about developing this kind of unshakable faith. The first thing, and perhaps the most important, is you've got to make a choice to trust God, period. You've just got to make a choice and make your mind up that I'm going to follow God no matter what. You see, faith is a choice. It's not a feeling. Because faith is based on what? The Word of God and the unchangeable character of God.
You've got to be careful what you think about. Now listen to me. You've got to meditate more on the Word of God and the promises of God than you do on questions that you have no answer for. Let me say it again. Most people think of that why question and the what ifs, and they ask a question that they cannot answer. I've got to think more and meditate on the Word of God and the promise of God and the character of God. The third thing I'll tell you, my friend, that I know is you've got to maintain a daily time with God. While you are waiting for God to do something, while you are wrestling in your life, there's no more time that's more important than you have a strong walk with God than right then. That when you were a Joseph and when you were in the prisons of life, that your faith is nurtured by daily time with God each day. Listen, the most important part of my day is the time that I spend with my Bible open and my prayer reaching out to God. And if I need a little bit more time, I turn the radio off in my car and I just say, Lord, could we just have some quiet moments together? It is important when you're in that time, your time with God. And the last thing is that you surround yourself with people of faith. You need men and women, brothers and sisters in Christ, that will surround you and not pull you down and not tear you down, but will simply take you by the hand and say, I do not understand, but I know He is a good God. And I know He hears your prayers. Somebody give the Lord a big hand tonight. Let's finish Joseph's story in just a moment or two. Genesis chapter 41, it's worth the wait. Can you say that with me? It's worth the wait. It's worth the wait. Genesis 41 verse 50, it's an interesting verse. Joseph is out of prison now. He's been made the vice president of Egypt. But the Bible says, before the first years of the famine came. So he had 13 years. But before the, actually it's been 20 years now. Before the first years of the famine, two sons were born to Joseph and his wife. Joseph named his older son Manasseh. And isn't this incredible? God made me forget all my troubles. God can do for you what Xanax cannot do. God can do for you what a psychiatrist or a psychologist. Thank God for psychiatrists that are focused in the right direction. But God can do for you what a counselor can never do. God made him forget. Not only his trouble. But God made him forget his father's family. Because as you recall, he's had no Christmas cards. No Christmas cards for many, many years of his life. And the second son, verse 52, he named Ephraim. For he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my grief. Think about it. I didn't just forget the problems. God caused me to prosper in the land of my trouble. Not when he got out of Egypt, but right there in Egypt. God put a ring on his finger. And you know what all happened in one day? See, just like that, one day he's in prison. One day they're going to repossess his property. One day the lawyers are after him. One day the banker's after him. One day the sheriff's after him. And the next day he's got a ring on his finger and he's the vice president of Egypt. In one day, everything can turn around. Can I tell you, in your life, in one day everything can turn around. It can happen suddenly. It may happen progressively. It may happen slowly. But it can happen suddenly in your life when God turns things around. But listen, as good as that was, now he's the vice president. Instead of eating on paper plates or whatever they ate on in prison, now he's eating in fine china. See, instead of living in a prison cell, he's living in a mansion. He's got a beautiful wife and he's got two kids. But the best is yet to come. You know what happened next? Joseph was about to get a hug from somebody he's wanted to hug for the last 13, 20 years. He was about to not only be reunited to his knucklehead brothers, but he was about to hug his daddy. You know what I'm talking about. 
His daddy one day came to eat food that he had taken care of, that God had used him to provide for and to prepare for the descendants of Christ. And here comes Joseph, and there comes his daddy. And the Bible said, listen, all Egypt could hear him weeping. Pharaoh saw him go to his daddy, and he had a good, a good long hug. But there was something that was even more important than that after this long wait. He stepped into his destiny to take care of the descendants of Jesus Christ. Joseph was not just born to have those two children. He was not born to die in a prison cell. He was not just born to see his daddy again. He was born, come on, to leave a mark on this world. And the God who was faithful to Joseph is the same God who will be faithful to you. Come on, will you give the Lord a big hand today? I want to give you some hope today. That if you're in a season of waiting or if you find yourself in one day, God is faithful. And what he did for Joseph, he'll do for you and I. What we need is unshakable faith while we wait. Praise the Lord. Well, listen, in just a minute, we're going to have what I think is probably the best part of the service. But we're going to have an opportunity to pray for you. Because here's some things that I know. God has the ability to work miracles in your life. God has the ability to do something for you in an instant of time that you could not do on your own. There's something amazing that happens when you have the courage to just slip out of your chair and take somebody by the hand and say, I want you to pray for me. My marriage is not where it needs to be. My finances is not where it needs to be. My faith is weak. My faith is shaken. Whatever it may be, in just a minute, we're going to pray with you and just believe that God would do a miracle for you on Saturday night. And we'll have some cookies in the back. We hope you hang out and join us. And I hope you come back next week and go to church with us and have a hamburger and meet some cool people. But I want to tell you right now, God is not done yet. God has something special for you. In just a few minutes, our prayer team is going to come up here. Men and women that have been praying all week long to have an encounter with you. That we could believe and see the power of God touch and change your life. Before we do that, I want to ask you this question, a real personal question. And it's probably the most important one I've asked all night tonight, all night. But it's one that only you can answer. And the question is this. What do you do when trouble comes in your life? Now, I'm not talking about trouble that you can just pull your credit card out and solve the problem. I'm talking about something that's too big for you to handle. I'm talking about a diagnosis from a physician that takes away all your options. I'm talking about an issue in life that makes you realize, I cannot do this on my own. Now, here's my experience. People handle it one or two ways. Most people, whether they're an atheist, an agnostic, or a person that goes to church every once in a while, when they have trouble, they start desperately dialing 911 and say, God, please help me. They say there's no atheist in foxholes. I believe it's the truth. Because all of us one day will face our own humanity. All of us one day will face a problem of life that's too big for us to handle. I ask you, what do you do in that time? Do you frantically search for God? Do you just like dialing 911 and, and help me? Or do you just simply say, My Father in heaven, the one whom I've walked with and the one whom I'm talking with, would you help me? I can't make this on my own. You see, I was like the, the former category for a number of years of my life. I was raised in a church. But how many know being raised in a church doesn't make you a Christian? Having a Bible doesn't make you a Christian. You know what I found makes you a Christian? Is when you turn in your heart and become a follower of Jesus Christ. See, being a Christian is not just information in your head. It's not a baptismal certificate. Being a Christian was when you've come to a place in life, like when you're driving your car and you stop at a two-way stop, and you either go left or you go right. Left is your way, the way that you've continued to go right is following God. 
I had an amazing experience when I was 19. Everything in life had been going pretty well up to that point. I was going to college. I had a, uh, I had a, a nice car Dad gave me for graduation. I had money. I had friends. I had dates. I had all the outward things that a person would like to have. But inside my heart, something was missing. And I tried to fill it up. I tried to fill it up with relationships, with education. I, I was on a scholarship. I was playing ball. I had all the right friends. But something was missing inside. And I felt I, I just kind of wanted to run away from my problems. So I decided to join the military. An amazing thing, this little accident happened at, before we got on the airplane to go to boot camp. Coincidence. A Gideon showed up and he gave me a little Bible. And he said, Jesus Christ can change your life, son. And I looked him in the eyes and I, something in my heart was connecting with him. It was something that wasn't just like being forced to go to that little church on Sunday morning. It was like an opportunity was open for God to become real in my life. For God to become a friend that would stick closer than a brother. And as I began to read the Bible, I saw that I had a big problem. My problem was I was separated from God because of my sin. And I knew it. See, I'd done things that were wrong. And that sin had created a gap. It started many generations ago with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve messed it up for all of us. If you want to look back to see why all the pain and the problem and heartache is in this world, blame Adam and Eve and blame the devil because sin came into the world. And sin separated. It broke our relationship with God. Just like Adam and Eve were hiding in the Garden of Eden. They were hiding after sin came. That's what I was doing all my life. Hiding. And when I needed God, I'd call Him. But when my trouble was over, I'd put Him back on the shelf. Well, I kept reading and I began to see that God wanted me to bridge that sin gap. And that's what Jesus came to do. It's like being stranded on an island and can't get off of it. You can't swim to land or anything. You need a bridge to get across that island. That's what Jesus Christ came to do. Jesus Christ came to be a bridge that God could forgive my sins and restore my relationship with my Heavenly Father. And that became real to me as a 19-year-old boy, and I took a chance. Rather than just, it's like my car was stopped at that two-way sign, the car of my life. And I said, Jesus, I want to commit my life to follow you. I don't want to just play church, but I want it to be real. I want to ask you today, Lord Jesus, that you would forgive my sins and come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. I'm going to turn and go your way. And I want to tell you, something happened when I committed my life to Christ. I didn't see an angel. I didn't hear lightning. But I can look back to August 15th, 1976 and tell you something that I know is for sure. That when you put your trust in Jesus Christ, when you ask Him to save you and forgive you, He will change your life. Now, if you're here today and maybe that's something that's brand new, you've never heard it before, I want to encourage you to act on it today. In just a second, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray for you to make a commitment, a step to Christ. Not to me and not to this church, but to Jesus Christ. And my friend, if you make that step, He will meet you. You may be here tonight and maybe you're a Christian. You've walked with God before, but you just kind of got away. You didn't mean to. But what I'm saying right now is resonating with your heart. And you know in your heart you need to turn your life and get back on track with Christ. Listen, friend, today can be your day. So if you're here this evening and you say, man, I'm tracking with you now. I need to commit my life to Christ. I want to ask for His forgiveness. I want Him to wash my sins away. I want Him to give me a brand new start. If that's you, would you just raise your hand this evening? Do it quickly, and I'll be happy to pray for you today. God bless you, sir. Give him a big hand. Somebody else today. Say, pray for me. Somebody else today. Pray for me. I want to get my life right with Christ. This is not joining this church. This is making a step to Christ. Anyone else today? I'll do this at the end, Lord willing, of every service. You bring a friend next week. I'll give them the same message, how Christ can change their life. Anyone else this evening? 
Praise the Lord. Listen, I want to pray with you, buddy. Come on up. Let me pray with you right now. Come on up. Give him a big hand. Pastor Mike is going to close the service. He's going to give you an opportunity for prayer. Pastor Mike's going to talk to you and give you the chance to pray. Come on up here. We'll go right over to the cross. We'll have a word of prayer. God bless you. Amen. I want our altar team to begin to come up. We've got a team of people that have been seeking God. They want to pray with you. And we believe what the Bible says, that believers will lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. That if you're sick, if you're hurting, call upon the elders of the church, anoint them with oil, pray the prayer of faith, and you'll be healed. That if two should agree as touching anything, it'll be done. So don't leave here without you know, having the opportunity, if there's something going on in your life, to agree with somebody and just kind of... It's just a symbol that, hey, you're giving it to God, that you're trusting Him, and you're going to agree with somebody. Amen? So we're going to begin to stand right now. Pastor Nick's going to sing one more song. If you just sing through the chorus at least one time, and then feel free even right now to begin to come to the altar. These people want to pray with you. And the rest of you, if you just kind of maybe worship one song and, and just agree with us that the people coming to the altar are touched, and we're going to hang around here as long as necessary. And we just want to ask God just to come and just visit in His presence. So you continue to stay in the audience if you want. But God bless you, and we will see you Wednesday night, and maybe some of you tomorrow morning. Amen? God bless you.